Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. One is glad to be in the church. <laughs> Amen. God is so faithful. Uh, we want to um, say how much we had a, a, a great time with uh, our fellowship um, uh, together in the Hampton Roads, we had a great uh, revival over there in the Norfolk Church. Uh, if you were there for those services, Pastor Peter Ajala powerfully preached. Uh, we had a great time yesterday also in the marriage seminar. Uh, what a great thing it is to be in a fellowship uh, together with uh, churches and believers uh, that we can gather together and be strengthened in our faith. Amen. Uh, so this morning, as we uh, look into the Word of God, I'd like you to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. If you will join me there today. Check, check, check. Amen. As, uh, yesterday, as we were... Um, we were uh, preparing for services today. My wife was putting together the uh, children's church program, and I happened to take a look at uh, what she was going to be teaching on. I don't see that the lights are on. And uh, so what was amazing, uh, when I looked at what she was going to be teaching our children this morning, uh, she, I asked her, what what what's the children's church going to be about tomorrow? And she said, well, it's going to be about cheerfulness. And I thought to myself, cheerfulness. I can't think of the last time I preached about cheerfulness. And so what they're getting in the Sunday school is what you're getting out here today. And so Matthew chapter 9, I believe God's people could use some Holy Ghost optimism. Everybody say optimism. I read about a schoolboy who brought home his report card. It was heavy with poor grades. His father opened up the envelope and looked at him sternly. What do you have to say about this? One thing's for sure, Dad. You can be proud. You know I haven't been cheating. It is a very helpful thing in life to be able to find the optimism in every situation. It is very helpful in your Christian journey as you begin to walk out your life for Jesus to be able to look at every situation and say, I don't understand everything, but this I do understand. God is moving somehow. I found a definition for optimism that I want you to remember today. The definition is this. Hopefulness and confidence about the future. All right? I want you to re re just uh, say that back with me. 
hopefulness and confidence about the future. One more time. Hopefulness and confidence about the future. That's what it means to be optimistic. And I pray that this service today, that you would find a reason once again to be hopeful and optimistic and confident about the future that we have in Christ. I believe that no matter what you're going through today, there's a reason to put a smile on your face. Matthew chapter 9. This is a sermon I've titled, Be of Good Cheer. One verse here, and we're going to look through at a few different verses in the New Testament. But starting here, Matthew 9, verse 2. Behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying in a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. What an incredible story. I don't see anybody here this morning who is paralytic, thank God. But even this man, when he had faith, Jesus said, be of good cheer. Let's pray for just a moment as we invite God's presence into this service. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We're asking once again for your presence and your power to overwhelm us and overcome. Lord, all spirit of doubt and fear and unbelief right now. I pray, God, that your people would be attentive to your word, that we would be able to hear what you're saying to us. And I'm praying, God, that you would uh, fill this, this assembly with great joy for the purpose that you have. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. This is a sermon, again, titled, Be of Good Cheer. Now, I want to begin by uh, defining what does that mean. What does it mean to be of good cheer? When Jesus spoke the words, what was he actually trying to say? It's a phrase uh, in in, in the New Testament that... Uh, in the English, it is, of course, four words, be of good cheer. But in the original Greek language, it's only one word. It's the word tharsio. And that word, uh, when you do a study on the word, you'll find that it has a root word that goes back to another word that's called tharse. Now, that's an interesting word because... It is the same word to describe this thing that is on the front of your skull, your face. When it is used in context, tharseo, Jesus literally, it could be translated in your various Bible translations. Some of them will say, be of good cheer. Some of them will say, take courage. Some of them will say, take heart or be encouraged. And so this word is so interesting that it is related to the word face. In fact, the English word, when we say the word cheer or cheerfulness, that word actually has its root in the old French language, the old French word chere, which again means the thing that is on the front of your skull, your face. So there is a direct connection between cheerfulness and this thing that is communicating how you feel to everyone around you. There is another way to say the words, be of good cheer. I would say, let your face be happy. Pastor, 
I'm happy on the inside. I bind that false doctrine in Jesus' name. If you are cheerful, then it ought to show through on this thing. Now, I'm not saying that you should go have plastic surgery like the Joker and permanently install a smiling face on yourself and end up uh, like Michael Jackson. I am saying today that what Jesus does for his people ought to produce something in you that will put a smile on your face. Not something that is shallow and meaningless, but when we begin to understand, even in hard situations, even in difficult circumstances, I believe the Christian can still smile, even through tears, and to still be cheerful. Pastor, this kind of philosophy that you're preaching this morning, it doesn't really speak to the realities of life, does it? The reality of life, if you've lived for more than five minutes, you will understand that there are hard things that we go through. Heartache, sorrow, grief. We lose loved ones. We endure sickness. But I want to look at the Scripture with you today because there are four occasions in the New Testament when Jesus uses this phrase, tharseo, be of good cheer. Make your face happy. There are four occasions that he uses this phrase, and if they are true 2,000 years ago when he spoke them, they are still true in 2019. There are three occasions where Jesus speaks this word, where he is on the earth speaking to people. The fourth occasion is actually in the book of Acts, where he is speaking from heaven to the Apostle Paul. But in every situation the Bible gives us this word, I believe you can understand why the Christian can have optimism. Even when it's hard, even when there's darkness, even when there's demonic attack, even when there's sickness, loss of loved ones, difficult trials and tribulations, that the Christian still has reasons, at least four of them, to have a good-looking face. So, the, the, we're going to go through these four occasions. The first one is the scripture that we read in Matthew chapter 9. Be of good cheer because your sins are forgiven. Everyone say, my sins are forgiven. If you're saved this morning, then that's true. And that ought to make you smile, man. How did that happen to you? I don't deserve that, but God forgave my sins. What in the world? That just makes me smile, thinking, thinking of all the stuff I got away with. Whoo, Jesus, thank you that you forgave my sins. This story where Jesus speaks the word, Tharseo, he is speaking to a paralyzed, paralytic man. This man has been brought before Jesus. You know the story, hopefully, if you've read this before. You know that he is a paralytic, which means he can't get around on his own especially there in the ancient world where uh, to be paralyzed or to have a physical malady of this type would mark you as someone who is demon-possessed. You would be dispossessed from society. People would mark you something wrong. 
he's been cursed by God. You know, they weren't uh, politically correct like we are in our generation. They would separate him. Don't put him near the children. We don't want that paralysis to jump to our family. He would be marked out. He would be, uh, he would be separated. He would be ostracized. And here he is. Jesus comes to his city. And thank God this paralytic man has four friends. It's an amazing story. It's worth a whole sermon by itself. But these four friends, they know Jesus is in town. He's in a certain house. He's teaching. He's preaching. And they want to bring their friend to, into the presence of Jesus. So they do something radical. They're carrying him. I can picture this in my mind. One man's got the leg. Another man's got the other leg. The other man's got a shoulder and a shoulder. And they're running down the road with this paralytic man trying to get into this house. But the Bible says that the house was so packed. Jesus teaching. There was people, no room anywhere. There was, everyone was straining their ears to try to hear what Jesus was saying. And as they approached this house, they said, there's no way we're getting in there, especially with this paralyzed guy. What are we going to do? The Bible says that they found a way up to the top of the house. Those days, the houses would have some types of thatched roofing. And so they, they found a way up to the top of the house. They began to dismantle this man's house, take away the thatches from above the roof so they could drop this guy in onto the Bible study parachuting him in, dropping... Could you imagine? The incredible amount of energy and strength and faith that it would take just to get the man into the presence of Jesus. Now let me stop right there for a moment. What a fantastic picture of evangelism. Can I tell you, saving souls takes work. Bringing people to church takes work. It takes putting a leg on your shoulder and carrying apart. It takes cooperation and teamwork. No one person can do it on their own. It takes great faith. In fact, when Jesus saw this situation, He looked at the faith of the men. Did you catch that in the Scripture? That Jesus saw the faith of the men who brought the paralytic. He saw their faith. Brought him into the presence of Jesus. And I just want to uh, encourage you today. There is, there, is, there is no limit to what Jesus can do if you would just bring someone into His presence. Just get them into the presence of Jesus and He'll do the rest. The four men can't heal the paralytic, but Jesus can. And they know that if, if I can just get this man into that house, somehow dismantle the roof, take the thatches, the tiles away, and just drop him in there. And then Jesus, you do the rest, man. They're sitting there. They're sweating. They're tired. Oh, but guess what? In a few minutes, the door opens up, and their friend, the one that they had carried in, he comes walking out. Thanks, guys. What an incredible miracle. But here's what I want to show you this morning. The words that Jesus spoke to the paralytic were this. And it's so interesting. It's obvious that this man cannot move his legs or possibly even his arms. But when Jesus sees him, that's not 
the issue that he speaks to. Again, in verse 2, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. What can we learn from this? We can learn that when Jesus saw the problem of physical paralyzation, paralysis, when he saw that problem, he didn't say, be of good cheer, I'm about to heal you. He did not say, be of good cheer, you're about to run and leap and jump again. No, he said, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. So Jesus, what he's doing is he's going to the root of his problem. Can I remind you that the root of all sickness, disease, paralysis is ultimately sin? Now, in this man's case, we don't know exactly, but uh, it could be linked to a prior sin in his life. But not all sin is linked to speci- uh, not all sickness is linked to a specific sin. And the reason I say that is because sometimes you know uh, somebody ends up in the hospital. It's not a good idea for you to show up and shake their hand and say, uh, what sins have you been committing lately? It's not always connected. It might be, but it's not for us to say. But what is for us to say is that th- the reason that there is any sickness at all is because of sin. The reason you get sick and the reason that we all end up dead in this life, unless Christ comes back, is because of sin. And so when Jesus sees the paralyzed man, the greater problem is not his paralysis. The greater problem is his sin. Jesus has to deal with problem number one before he can deal with problem number two. You can't put a band-aid on a stab wound. You know what I'm saying? Jesus has to deal with the issue behind the issue. Full of grace and mercy, he says, your sins are forgiven you. And when the men's sins are forgiven, then the door is open to physical healing. I want to say to you this morning, the best thing that could ever happen to you is not that you get delivered from your physical ailment. The best thing that could ever happen is for your sins to be forgiven and washed away. David in Psalm 32 speaks about his sin. He says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through all my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of the summer. But then as David falls before the Lord, he cries out for forgiveness and he says, I acknowledged my sin before thee. My iniquity I did not hide. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and thou did forgive the guilt of my sin. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and to whose spirit there is no deceit. Are you saved this morning? Do you know what that means? Your sins are forgiven. That's a reason to smile. That's a reason for hope. 
a reason for optimism this morning. Because we come into this world enslaved to sin. We are born sinners. You know what it means to sin, right? It means to break the commandment of God. It means to rebel against His perfect will for your life. It means that God says do this and you say I do that. When God says don't do this and I say I'm going to do that anyway. That is sin. Sin is when we think we know better than God. And it is the greatest problem that you and I have. It is a cancer that eats away at our soul. And unless Jesus forgives us, it will lead ultimately to sickness and death and condemnation. Ephesians 1 verse 7, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. See, Jesus did not owe this man a healing, did He? In the same way, Jesus does not owe you forgiveness. It's not that you're just this such a great person. And man, Jesus is just withholding that forgiveness from you. Oh no. We deserve condemnation and death because of our sins, but the good news is this. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. That ought to put a smile on your face this morning. That is incredible. It's unexpected. It's amazing. It is God's grace and mercy in action. Let's look at the second occasion that should give you a cheerful face. It is the sweetness of His presence. Matthew chapter 14, verse 27. You can turn there with me. This comes from another famous story about Jesus in the Bible. The Bible says, uh, we're going to read that uh, verse, but let me just take a moment to explain what's happening here in the story. Jesus has spoken to His disciples and He's told them to go out onto the sea. He says, you guys go out there, I'll meet you on the other side. And you know the story, they get out in the boat, and in the Jewish worldview, the sea is a place of chaos and danger. A place you don't want to be, especially at night. And there they are, the disciples, at Jesus' command, they have gone into the boat, they have gone out onto the sea, and lo and behold, what begins to happen? A storm. A storm that caused them to be so fearful. A storm that caused the wind to blow and the waves to crash against their boat. And so they began to be fearful and afraid for their lives. Now think, many of these men, a few of these men were fishermen. They knew what it was like to be on a boat. They had experience with wind and waves. This would not have been their first time uh, getting in trouble. They probably would have known people who had gone out in their boat at the wrong time when a storm came upon them and those men never came back. They had perished in a storm. Peter especially, his brother Andrew, they would have known people. that they, Their greed would lead them out to go fishing during a storm and they would never have come home, leaving families behind, leaving wives and children behind. They would have known people that the sea would have consumed them and here they are, they're fearful for their lives. 
Now, as if that wasn't bad enough. As they're trying to plow through and make it to the other side at the command of Jesus. They lift up their eyes and look out on the water and what do they see? They see a man walking on the water. This comes straight out of a horror film. That's not natural. That's not right. It shouldn't be like that. As soon as they saw it, they had the same reaction you would. It's a ghost! It's a spirit! It's a phantom! It's, it's, a, it's poltergeist! They couldn't see well. Their eyes were covered with the rain and the waves. The winds blowing, the waves crashing, and they... Is it true? Could it be? It's a ghost! There's panic rising up. Have you ever been panicked? Had a panic attack? Maybe when you lose your keys? Oh, I'm not going to get to work! A ghost stole my keys. But they're looking and they're, they're afraid. And as they begin to peer, there's a voice that comes across the waves. And this is what we hear. Matthew chapter 14, verse 27. A second reason to be of good cheer. Jesus says, it is I. Be not afraid. The disciples in this moment had forgotten. Jesus had planned this all along. He had them right where He wanted them to be. It's easy to forget, isn't it, in our lives? <laughs> Especially when the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing and the things are happening and the tires go flat and the bills come due, and the, the landlord comes knocking, and the, the, the things that are happening in our lives that we say, eh, this couldn't be. I say to you, be of good cheer. Jesus is still present. Do you know why? Because these disciples had never stopped obeying the Lord. I want you to catch that. Jesus said, get into the boat and go to the other side. And that's exactly what they were doing. They had gotten in the boat, and at the words of Christ, they were obedient. Now, I just want to make this disclaimer. This is not true for us if we're in disobedience. <laughs> if they begin to run away, if they begin to get out of the boat and run for the hills, that's disobedience. Yes. Jesus is not present in disobedience. But in their obedience, God had them in His hand the entire time. They were still exactly where Jesus wanted them to be. Do we still remember the promise of Hebrews 13, verse 5? I will never leave you nor forsake you. If we are God's people, we must claim and cling to that promise today. Amen. And that means, no matter the situation you're in right now, or what situation you will be in in a week's time or a month's time, you can be of good cheer. Amen. It'll put a smile on your face. Jesus is still with me? What? For real? Even in this? Even walking on the waves? Amen. 
even in the midst of my trouble? As we look at these disciples and consider them cowering in fear, it was Christ who told them to be there. They were obedient. Jesus knew He was sending them directly into the storm. Can I tell you, Jesus still sends us into a storm sometimes. (laughs) You know, sometimes we wish He wouldn't. We wish, Lord, couldn't I just go through this, you know, a roundabout way and miss the storm? Wouldn't it be better, Lord, if I could just stay a little more comfortable and dry? Sometimes the best way for us, God's way for us, is through the storm. What's amazing about this story in the Gospel account is Peter's reaction. Peter did something crazy, something unexpected, something that required faith. Verse 28, he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And I love what Pastor Peter Ajala said, uh, Jesus did not preach a three-point sermon to him about faith. He said a single word, come. Come, Peter, you believe, come to me. And Peter, for all of his faults, for all of his foot-in-mouth disease problems, Peter is the only human being, aside from Jesus, who walked on water. He believed God, he obeyed the word of Christ, and he stepped out of the boat. He was able to walk above the very problem that a moment before thought was going to kill him. And I want to call out some Christians here this morning. You're in a situation that you believe this is going to cause you to die. This is going to be your harm. This is going to be your end. But I'm telling you that through faith, you can actually walk upon those troubles. I'm not saying that the storm disappeared. Did the storm disappear? No, the storm was still there. But he was walking above it. Like the eagle who rises above the storm, propelled by the winds of a hurricane or a tornado. It does not mean that the storm disappears, but God through faith can give us the ability to walk on our troubles. Peter does what we do. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was doing what was impossible. He was walking upon his trouble. But when he began to look around, when he began to look back at the disciples, and all of them were like, (laughs) when he began to see the wind crashing and the waves pounding against him, the Bible said then he began to sink. He began to lose his faith, but he cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out to him, thank God, oh you of little faith, pulled him out of the water. We must trust the Lord. We must be able to hear his voice that even through the midst of the storm, he says, be of good cheer. Put some cheerfulness on your face. You know what I found? 
Now, when things take a, a dip in my life or when situations don't go the way I want them to, you know what I begin to do? I start looking around. Jesus has to be walking on the water somewhere. Right? God's not going to let me go through this unless there's a reason, unless there's a blessing, unless there's a word, a revelation that he's got for me. It's like Joseph, who had been rejected and betrayed by his brothers. Years later, they're standing there before him. Now he's got the power to destroy them and chop their heads off if he wanted to. But instead, he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The world brought me trouble. You have even brought me trouble. But now I see that God allowed it to happen so that good could come about. Do you still believe that? That when you're going through the storm, Jesus says, be of good cheer. I'm here with you. I am walking upon the very thing that is causing you to be afraid. So hear those words this morning. Be of good cheer. It is I. Thirdly, John chapter 16. Another time that Jesus uses this phrase. In John chapter 16. This, of course, comes from Jesus' teaching at the Last Supper. This as He is preparing now to go to the cross. He has already told His disciples the bad news that He is about to die and He's about to go away from them. This has caused them to be very depressed. It's kind of like if you had a close loved one and they just said, I got orders to the other side of the country. And you're staying here. And Jesus, uh, there's much more finality. He says, I must go away from you guys. He says, I know we've been together for three years of ministry. The time has flown by, but now's the time. I must leave. I have to go away. They're sad. They're depressed. They're dejected. And so in these chapters, as you read through them, Jesus is trying to encourage them, just like He's trying to encourage you this morning. He's trying to bring a smile back to their face. Because Jesus can't handle depressed Christians. He gets annoyed with frowny-faced Christians. Jesus cannot comprehend that. I believe Jesus kept a smile on His face. And so as He's looking at these dejected disciples, He tries to encourage them. And this is what He says in John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Again, this third reason that we can be cheerful is because Jesus is victorious. He has already overcome the world. Look at this passage. We see two relationships involved. In the world and in me. He says, you are in the world, and because you're in the world, you will have tribulation. But in me, because you are in me, you will still have peace. 
Do you have peace this morning? Do you have peace in your mind? Do you have peace in your home? Do you have peace in your heart? In your finances? I want to tell you, Jesus wants to bring you to a place of peace. Be of good cheer because He is victorious. Can I tell you that peace is not something that is brought about easily. In World War II, the world was filled with violence and chaos. Axis versus allies. The world divided. The conquerors versus the conquered. Those trying to reclaim. Right? It was a huge battle. There was millions of lives lost in that war. But when it was over, there was peace. For years, there was peace. But that peace had been purchased by the blood of so many soldiers. Oh, I'm telling you this morning, peace is not something that comes easily. It does not come by accident. Jesus had to go to the cross to overcome the world, to overcome the flesh, to overcome the devil, to overcome the plans of the enemy. He had to shed blood. He had to give His body. He had to do it all to bring Peace. And that ought to bring a smile to your face today. Because you don't have to do it. All we have to do is believe and trust in Christ and follow after Him. Take up our cross daily to go after Jesus and He will give us the peace that He won for us at the cross. 1 John 5, verse 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. I don't want to hear your complaining about how the world is beating you down. I don't want to hear your complaining about how that person, that wicked person is coming against you. Yes, I know, we will have tribulations in this world. But be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome. Did you hear the tense? He's not speaking in future tense. I will overcome. He said it's already done. I have overcome the world. I don't want to hear the sob story anymore. I don't want to see the frowny face. Yes, there is pain and there is toil in this life. But be of good cheer because He has overcome. I'm going to preach you happy today. And even if I don't, I'm going to preach me happy. Philippians 4.7 The peace which surpasses all comprehension, all understanding, will guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Do you know that word dismayed? I see that word on some of your faces sometimes. Dismayed. It hurts. Dismay. The direct command that God gave is do not be that way. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. Don't look at your circumstances to find your peace. Don't look at your bank account to find your peace. Don't even look at your spouse to find your peace. Or your children. Good Lord, help us. 
to find your peace? You know where we need to look? We need to look to Christ, the one who has overcome the world. That's a reason to be of good cheer. Finally, perhaps the most important reason that you and I can have a face that shows cheerfulness. It comes from the book of Acts, and it's the final time when Jesus uses this phrase in Acts chapter 23. Underline it in your Bible. This again as Jesus is speaking from heaven to the Apostle Paul. Jesus now having the perspective of having lived his earthly life, and now in heaven looking down and trying to encourage the Apostle Paul. How many know the Apostle Paul went through some hard stuff? Harder stuff than you've ever been through. And Jesus is trying to encourage Paul as we are encountering him in this chapter, Acts 23. He's in jail. Have you ever been in jail? Have your, have your, has your freedom ever been stripped of you because of your foolishness? In the Scripture, the Apostle Paul, he's in jail not because of foolishness, but because he is standing for Jesus. Because he is preaching the Word of God and people didn't want to hear it. They said, throw him in the, in the brink. Throw away the key. We don't want to hear what Paul has to say. And so it's one thing if you go to jail because you're stupid. But here's Paul in jail. Not because he's stupid, but because he has done something right. And when you're in that situation, it's easy for your spirit to get kinked. Lord, I've been doing right. I've been praying. I've been obeying. I've been rowing across the lake when the storm wind is blowing. I've been obedient. I know I have. And Lord, I'm not proud in that. I'm not trying to be puffed up in my pride. I'm just trying to show you, God, are you paying attention? Because I'm doing what's right for my life. So where's the blessing? Why am I chained to a wall like this? And in that situation, Jesus speaks these words. Are you ready? Acts 23, verse 11. The Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem so you must also bear witness at Rome. That is such an important thing to understand. I want you to catch this, and then we're going to close. Where is Paul located geographically when Jesus spoke that? Do you know? He's in Jerusalem. He's in prison in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying he's there with him in the jail cell. And he says, you've been obedient to me, Paul. You have testified of me in Jerusalem. That's why you're here in jail, in Jerusalem. But I've got plans for you. The reason that you can be of good cheer today, Paul, the reason you don't have to let your heart get kinked up and twisted up is this, because I still have some more plans for you. You must also bear witness at Rome. You know, Rome is a long way from Jerusalem. 
You just look at it on a map. Even on an airplane, it'll take a few hours. On a ship, it'll take a few days. On a donkey, it'll take a few weeks. On foot, it might take a few months. What Jesus is saying to the Apostle Paul is, listen, bro, I still have some plans for you. You can still put a smile on your face because I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Jesus is giving Paul a glimpse of his future. You are still going to testify for me in the city of Rome. At the bare minimum, Paul, you've got months to live. You've got years left on your life. Because your days are not going to be finished until you testify for me in the city of Rome. What's amazing about this to me is Jesus speaks this before he has gone on, uh, on a couple of his missionary journeys, before he has planted some churches. He's already been on one missionary journey, but he, God's not done with him. Everybody here, say these words. God's not done with me. You can put a smile on your face this morning. You can put, be of good cheer because he still has plans for you. We are so short-sighted in this life. You are locked into time at this moment at 12.22 p.m. on June the 30th. You're stuck right here. You cannot relive yesterday or last year or last decade. You can't do it. You also cannot exist tomorrow or the next day or the next year or next decade. You, can't. you are stuck right here, right now. because You are a finite being. You cannot determine what's going to happen, everything in your life. But we serve a God who lives outside of time and space. And that means the God who sees you at this moment also sees you 10 years from now. And 20 years from now and 50 years from now. He is the one who has perspective to show you, to, to give you the confidence and the hope for tomorrow you're not done yet. Sometimes we get that feeling. We get that attitude. God, the best days are behind me. I'm on my decline now. I'm over the hill. I've had my 40th birthday. It's all downhill from here. It's only going to get bleaker and bleaker and sicker and weaker until I die. Oh, great way for a Christian to live. What a wonderful witness you are for Christ. Can I tell you, no matter what victories you've had in your past, God still has plans for us in the future. We can be comforted this morning with the fact that God is not an uninterested spectator, but that He, like Jesus was with Paul, he is right in the midst. He appeared to him in the jail cell that night and said, you're going to Rome one day. In Jesus, our lives of service are fully known. And even if you are in the midst of difficulty, even through obedience, we can be of good cheer. 
expressing our cheerfulness and our joy should be as natural as the birds who sing every morning. Do you know why birds sing? Because that's what birds do. Pre-programmed. Instinctual. Almost without thought. They just chirp and sing. At the moment the, the sun begins to rise, right outside my window, be quiet! But God programmed that bird from the beginning of his life all the way to the end. To sing a happy song. To get me out of bed. And to give God praise. And as natural as it is for the songbird to sing his beautiful song, it is natural for the Christian to be of good cheer. It is natural for us to turn the frowns upside down. And to let the joy of the Lord be your Strength. Jeremiah 29, one of my favorite scriptures. Verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. I want to remind you again how I define the word optimism. Hopefulness and confidence about the future. I know that there are some of you who are more naturally pessimistic. There are some of you who are more naturally uh, see the glass half empty. Who are more of the realist of life, let's deal with the situation as it is. And there is value in that, to be sure. But the command that we've heard four times in a row from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ is this. Be of good cheer. In the reality of the difficulties of life, we have reasons to have good cheer, to be optimistic, to have hope and confidence that tomorrow will be a better day. I look at this world that we're living in, and it seems like the headlines only get worse. It seems like the politics only get worse. It seems like the finances only get worse. It's easy for us to lose hope when it looks bleak. But the words of Christ are this. Let them echo in your ears all week long. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And be of good cheer because I still have plans for you. And because of those four reasons, at least, you should have four smiles on your face. And people should look at you in the midst of your trouble and say, why are you still happy? Stop it! You're supposed to be sad and depressed and you're supposed to be uh, getting the razor blades out. Oh no, because I have a God... There is a God in heaven who gives me reason to have a smile on my face. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Be 
of good cheer. In just a moment, we're going to open up this altar. And we're going to cast out the spirit of heaviness. We're going to ask Christ to deliver us from the frowny face emoji. We're going to believe God that we walk out of here with smiles, not fake, shallow smiles. But the kind of smiles that begin to rise up from our souls as we understand what Christ has done for us. Before we close the service today, I wonder if you've come into the service and the truth is that your heart is not forgiven from sin. As I mentioned, the Bible declares we have all entered this world sinful and broken before the Lord. Every single one of us carries that disease of sin from the moment we are conceived. From the moment we come into this world, we are stained by the sickness of sin. That paralytic that I spoke about at the beginning, he is a great picture of what it's like to be in life separated from Jesus. That he was physically paralyzed, unable to help himself. Unable to walk, unable to cook dinner, unable to provide a living for his family. In the same way, we are all spiritually paralyzed. We come into this world unable to see the kingdom of God. We come into this world unable to save ourselves. Unable to break free from the bondage of sin. Unable... To, to be changed. And if that remains in that condition, if nothing changes, the wages of our sin is death. But I have good news for you today. When the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The good news is that every sinner has an opportunity to respond to the ultimate invitation that Christ has given from the cross. That when He went to that cross and He paid the price, He shed His blood, He gave His body as a sacrifice. What He was doing was He was putting Himself in the place that you and I deserve. We deserve the cross. We deserve punishment. We deserve God's condemnation, but Christ took it upon Himself so that when we trust in Him, our punishment can be laid to His account and His righteousness can be laid on our account. The simple gospel is this God loves sinners like you and me. And He was willing to allow His Son to be crucified and die so that sinners can cry out to a God in heaven for forgiveness. The price has already been paid. There is nothing left for you to do but to receive the invitation. Say, Lord, I believe that You want to save me. I believe 
that Christ paid the price for me. And I'm going to repent today of my sins. I'm going to turn away. And I'm going to trust you to save me. And the Bible says if you'll do that, if you'll repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus, that He will forgive you. And the greatest problem that you have will instantly be fixed. Your sins will be forgiven. It does not mean that your life will be instantly perfect. But what it does mean is that God will no longer be angry with you. You will be adopted into His family. You'll become a son or a daughter. Adopted into the eternal family of Jesus and God the Father. And I wonder today if that's you, that's what you need. You need the adoption, the spirit of adoption to be welcomed into the family of God as you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Before we do anything else, God's speaking to you. Would you do one thing for me? Just lift up your hand so I can see it. You be honest before the Lord. Say, Pastor, I know that my sins are destroying me, but I need His forgiveness today. Is there someone here? Quickly, you lift up your hand. I see this hand over here. Is there someone else? Quickly, you'd slip up your hand so I can see it. You're going to trust God this morning to save you from your sins. Is there anyone else? Quickly, maybe you're backslidden. Maybe there was a time you were serving God faithfully, but you've lost the fire. You've lost the passion. You've lost your love for Jesus. You've run like the prodigal son into that far country. Your heart has grown cold. You've been involved in things that are shameful. Gone back to a life of wickedness and degradation. And right now, Christ is exposing them. In your heart, in your mind, He's reminding you of the wickedness that you're still involved in. That prodigal son has to come to himself and say, I will return to my father's house. I wonder if that's you, a backslidden believer here today. Would you lift up your hand? I want to pray for you. Don't be ashamed. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to redeem you. Is there, is there a backslidden believer here today? Lift up your hand so I can see it. I want to pray for you with honest heart today. Oh, thank God for His mercy. Amen. We're going to open up this altar for prayer. I wonder, church, if you would do uh, something with me. If you, we could... We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.